Welcome to Vermont Artists and Authors, where we interview a great storytellers and artists from the amazing Green Mountain State. I'm your host, Barney Smith of StoryComic.com, and we are honored to have with us the beloved scholar and internationally acclaimed author, Bruce Richards. Bruce, how are you doing? Pretty well. So yeah, so you're an author here in Vermont. So you just recently published your latest book, Jumping the Shark and Other True Stories Except One. This has been pretty interesting. It's been getting a lot of good reviews lately. So, so Bruce, talk to us a little bit about the, uh, the inspiration behind the short stories that you put in your collection. Oh, um, well, I, I've just been, for about 10 years, just been writing down stories I think are either, you know, interesting or funny or somebody might want to read. Mm. So uh, inspiration's a big word. I'm not sure if, if that, uh, that fits. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and so what, who, who is your book for? Who's, who's the audience for your book? Difficult question. Um, my first, at first blush, I'd say that I wrote it for myself. Um, hmm. I mean, I, I wrote what I wanted, when I wanted, um, in the way I wanted to, just the selfish uh, sort of perspective. Upon reflection, I would say I'm, 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 I'm addressing my audience members. Um, particularly individually even in a lot of the things I write. Mm. So I guess I can't say I'm writing for myself if, if I'm trying to talk to people. And um, I have a, a warm sense of my readers. I, I feel somehow uh, close to them. Once I threw out the bigots in the introduction, I did ask all the bigots to leave my book in the introduction. But after that, anybody reading is someone that I sort of feel a, a funny connection to. Maybe it's crazy that I feel that, but so uh, so it's the reader. I don't know who he or she is. Um, some are my friends, you know, that's nice, but others I feel friendly toward. Well, and, and also in your book, you actually address your younger self and your younger self also addresses your older self. Was there some sort of oh, yeah. language between the two where is your older self trying to teach your younger self something? And is your younger self trying to remind your older self of something? Um, yes. And that happened just by chance. You know how writing goes. You're writing along and uh, and, and you're following something and, and, and not preordained often. It's just you're following something. And I was telling that I had found uh, something that Bruce in 1982 wrote about going to New Orleans on, uh, on my trip around the country where I was on sabbatical to do a photo essay of American high schools. I stopped off at New Orleans. It just happened to be Mardi Gras, which I really didn't know. But as I wrote an essay at the time, as that essay says, uh, but nobody believes me that I didn't know it was Mardi Gras. So um, um, here I am in Mardi Gras and I wrote about it and I took lots of pictures. And so now I'm looking at that and I'm, I'm publishing 
what I wrote then, but I'm critiquing it as I go because I see, you know, a more naive uh, person writing. I see a person who writes in a different style than I write in. I, I you know, is more pretentious and longer sentences and bigger words <laughs> than I use now. So I'm I'm critiquing it and then almost it's not magic, but it just all of a sudden kind of happened that as I'm writing, um, Bruce in 1982 starts talking to me directly and saying, hey, old man, where do you get off criticizing my writing? And that sets up a dialogue between uh, Bruce in 1982 and Bruce now. And I point out a lot of that he was reckless and, and you know, did things that he shouldn't have. And, and um, uh, he pointed out that I've become feckless. <laughs> I've become uh, uh, afraid of things and, and won't, I, I couldn't today do the things that, that Bruce 82 was able to do, drive around the country by himself and uh, do all these things. And, uh, um, and he said, you know, he, I wouldn't do that. And I said, yeah, well, uh, you were on your farewell tour, as you, you called it, before coming back to be with Leslie. And uh, you almost blew the greatest relationship of your life. You know, you stupid 80, Bruce 82. So see, <laughs> that's what happened. We went back and forth. And then, and then that's when the book takes a turn. Again, it wasn't pre-planned. But th th then I say to him, well, you're, you're writing basically not so good. You know, you, um, you were always a better photographer than you were a writer. And then he says, yeah, and you, how about you? But that's where I pause in the, and, and, and in the next chapter of the book, I say, well, let's see my readers. So what do you think? I'm going to show you a lot of photography and you tell me whether I should pursue writing or photography. And um, and then I'll, there's a lot of photography in the rest of the book, um, right. including lots of pictures from uh, the kids around the country in 1981-1982. Kids who I promised then, when I took their picture all over the country, schools all over, when I took their picture, I promised them that I was going to put it into a book. So in this book, I apologize for being a little late in actually doing that. <laughs> Um, well, what's 40 years among friends, you know? So, so these kids are, uh, these kids are now in their sixties, as they pointed out to me on Facebook, some of the people, especially ones that were in the high school where I taught, uh, have just pointed out to me, uh, yeah, well, uh, you keep calling us kids, you know, we're 62 years old, <laughs> a group of them. The class of 78 just invited me to their 45th reunion down in New Jersey, which I'm going to go to at the end of the month. And uh, that'll be weird. That'll be weird. You know, uh, I haven't seen them since then. And uh, 45 years. Oh, my goodness. So uh, but a lot of them bought the book and want me to come there and sign the book and be at their reunion. So so I will. So that's fine. No, no. Out of these stories, because you're not telling us which one is which one is not true. So, out of these stories, no, which one, is, which one did you have the most fun writing or reminiscing on? Oh gosh, 
Oh boy, tough question. I mean, I enjoyed writing lots of them. Some of the later stuff is a little more painful. So I guess I say not not the later stuff, although I had certain amount of, you know, when you confront less stuff, more themes, it's not quite as much fun, but it's fun in a deeper way. The right. earlier stories, probably, I mean, the title story I had fun writing and reminiscing about the event, Jumping the Shark. Um, and I also enjoyed, um, uh, well, I, the one I just talked about is called Eight to Bruce about me in 82, eight to Bruce. And I, I, that was fun because that, that one took on its own life. So that was a lot of fun. Right. Yeah. And the, and the third I'd say would be the story um, about Hawaii cabbie shot mm. at home. That was another one that was fun to tell, not always fun to live cabbie shot mm. at home. So, so, so what was that one about? How did that? That sounds like an interesting one. You want to give people a, a kind of a brief summary on what a cabbie being shot at home is about? <clears throat> the first chapter in it is Suzanne takes me down um, to celebrate my good fortune and having flunked my draft physical in the spring of 1969 and not having to go to Vietnam and get shot. I went to Hawaii and got shot <laughs> so that's how it, that's how it opens and it tells right. about me following a, a beautiful woman of course it's always about the women uh to hawaii and the stuff that happened in 69 and right. 70 yeah <laughs> and, uh, there was i was when i left hawaii it's mentioned in the story i was in line with um um the Grateful Dead were behind me in the line. And the guy right behind me was Pigpen. And my nickname in college was Pigpen. And uh, so he and I bonded over this. And then when the, when the guy uh, asked me, uh, do you have any, uh, any drugs in your luggage? I turned to Pigpen um, and, and said, uh, Oh, is marijuana a drug? And then Pigpen said, "No, man, it's just a weed." And then the uh, <laughs> the guy looked the guy looking at my luggage got angry and threw my luggage all up in the air, up in underwear going here all, all over the place, and uh, there was nothing in it. I was just making a joke for the Grateful Dead, but um, <laughs> so <laughs> so then I just had to you know clean up all the the luggage, but it was it was worth it because. Uh, Pig pen laughed. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> rough pig, pig pen laugh. Are, are people to take out of your each one of your stories? Is there a, a lesson or a moral, or is this mo is it just entertainment for purely entertainment value? I don't think one should write with a moral in mind. You know, that's mm. a certain type of literature that's uh, that tends to be awful, and um, <laughs> uh, died didactic but uh, uh if you're telling the truth in my introduction i say well, i'm trying to do it but i just told my creative writing students uh, i told them i gave them commandments i used to write on the board the first commandment was thou shalt not bore thy reader and um <laughs> the, the second one was <clears throat> discover your voice and speak in it 
and and the third commandment was tell the truth so these are the things that that i was teaching my students you know um, your own voice the truth is best you know it and don't bore the reader and that's the one i i have to worry about the most uh, you know right so i so that's what i try to do now are there morals in it well if you're telling the truth there's things to be learned and there's an arc to the book chronological arc which shows me changing so that's telling a, a story that is, is maybe worth knowing and for those that might be looking at i'm thinking about writing a memoir i'm thinking about writing a book by just haven't gotten there yet. What's what's your advice for those that are kind of hesitant to actually get on the computer or pick up a, a pen and start writing? Mm. Well, you have to apply yourself. Um, you have to apply um, your ass to a chair. And you have to start. <laughs> and you have to, and you have to um, see where it takes you and you have to persist. Some of these journeys turn out to be pretty good, you know, and some don't go anywhere. And you, when it doesn't go where you say, well, throw it in the garbage can. Of course, I still write pen on paper, so I still crumble up and throw in garbage cans. But uh, the key if it, is, is to what I would do is is, is I would um, have a certain time every day where I'm going to write. And if I don't feel inspired, so what? you know maybe something will happen anyway you don't know and uh, when i was teaching excuse me full time um it would always be in the morning before my family got up and um uh, that's hard for me because you know I'm, i tend to be a little lazy like to sleep a lot but uh, but boy the first thing in the morning you probably know i mean there's something about you know dawn that's really great, and and uh, you know, and writing at that point with nobody bothering you, and I and I would write, and I still write at my great grandfather's roll top desk, um, not with a quill pen, but you know, close, just you know, my ballpoint pen, kind of like he wrote, um, and I have a picture of him sitting at that desk writing his sermons. He was a well-known Methodist minister. He'd be writing his sermons, and it was. It was all a hundred years before me. That's a uh, kind of another this little thing in my world that uh, uh, this is uh, John Wesley Richards, and he was born exactly a hundred years before I was, and his son was born exactly a hundred years uh, before my son. That's my grandfather and my son, you know, born in eighty-four, one in eighteen eighty-four, and the other in nineteen eighty-four, and uh, so I have an affinity with this guy, although I have argued with him in my writing, he being a, again, a Methodist minister and me being a, uh, all I can say is like a hopeful agnostic. So I didn't like his certainty about everything, you know? Right. So, uh, yeah, anyway, that's, so that's my writing world, his, his old desk. <laughs> Where do you see, authors and and writing and publishing um in the next 10 years well i don't know that's a that's a scary question isn't it i mean the big trend has been 
less people reading full books and, and getting more and more of your entertainment and information in the tiniest forms, which are not conducive to, to understanding the human condition. Let's face it. Um, little sound bites that don't make it. They, they masquer masquerade as reality, but I think longer forms are necessary, but uh, it's been fading. So uh, hopefully there will be a core of real readers and, uh, and they will, um, yeah, and they will persist and they will inform folks. I'm hoping, I'm hopeful about that. Um, I just read, I, I have an old Harper's Magazine from uh, 2000. It was the 150th anniversary of Harper's Magazine. I just found it, my old stuff, and re been reading it. And that's what they were worried about, saying, uh, you know, we're on the brink of, of people not really examining things but, but following lockstep through very short um, media. So that was a concern 23 years ago, and it's a bigger concern now. As they say, someone who's a, been a prolific writer for, for many, many years, what's, what's your next project? Uh, I do have a dear friend who will, who, who will patronize me and likes my photography a lot. And he's pushing me to do photo books. So I may do a couple photo books. And also, uh, he's pushing me to dust off the novel that I wrote uh, 25 years ago and almost published with the New York Publishing House. And then it fell through, so I, uh, I put it aside. So that, th that's got to happen. The, the novel has to, I have to read it. Uh, I have to reread it and see if it's any good. It's about lifeguarding in the 60s. So maybe the world's ready for the 60s novel. You know, it's a funny thing about that novel, though. When I didn't, um, when I didn't publish it, and, and I got sick of the process, and I wasn't going to go and kiss people's butts, to, you know, to get it published, and so I just um, um, took it to where I was teaching at Oxbow. It was the year two thousand, and they had a time capsule, so I put it in the time capsule with a note on top. It says um, it's going to dug up in twenty fifty. And says, this is my last ditch effort to get published. Sure, I'm dead, but it's still worth a, worth a try. So that's there. <laughs> Eventually, some human will see that novel, even if I don't publish it now. It's it, it'll, uh, 2050, Oxbow. Yeah, Oxbow High School. <laughs> Well, yeah, you need to you need to yeah. get that published, especially since you're seeing such a great turnout for um, your other book. Yeah, but that's an earlier uh, incarnation of Bruce the writer. So, um, so is he any good? Well, I got to see. It, right. It's a fairly long novel over. It's three months in uh, three summers, showing the rise and fall of the '60s, the perspective of a of a bunch of goofy lifeguards on the Jersey Shore. Right. Based on what I did, really. I was the leader of a bunch of goofy lifeguards. <laughs> One of the stories in this book just got published in the Woven Tale Press. Okay. Which is a really nice literary magazine that a 
friend of mine, Sid Lee, poet laureate in Vermont, he, he liked the story, which I just wrote fairly recently and put it in the book, sent it to them, and they just published it this month. So that's good for my ego. <laughs> it's called The One That Got Away, and it's a lifeguard story um, about fish and a girl in 1971. So uh, the woven press. Right. Yeah. You kind of focus on other aspects of the 60s and 70s that nobody really thinks about. And what are some of those, what are some of those, those cultural milestones that you're able to, to touch upon that you hope from a historical perspective, people are going to um, be able to appreciate? Oh, another tough question. I guess this is why you're so good at this. Um, <laughs> I'm interested in showing the rise and fall of the 60s in these stories also and how how the 70s um the sexual revolution entered its reign of terror phase mm. in the 70s so um you know it, it was love everybody for a while there and, and uh, it was very idealistic and and very nice and uh you know sex was part of it but sex was just uh, making love it was always love and then by the time you get into the later 70s it becomes just a, a you know a hedonistic uh, uh practice and and the love part was forgotten uh and i i, I feel that you know the, the great hope of aquarius got kind of torn down by the late 70s. Um, and, uh, you know, Jimmy Carter had a great speech, his Malay speech, and people made fun of him and it didn't help him politically. But he was right. We were, at the end of the 70s, we were in Malays. We were in a moral Malays. And, uh, and it wasn't making us happy. That was the surprise a lot of young people found that all the wild, uh, you know, sex, and sex, drugs, and rock and roll um, wasn't really making us that happy after all. Mm. Something right. else was required. Some, right. some substance was required and connections that we weren't making. Yeah. Right. So. so so, Bruce, if people want to learn more about your book and learn more about you, where's the best place they could go to? Oh. Gosh, um, I have a Facebook page for the book. Okay, that's a start. Right. Um, and I'm joining Instagram, and I don't even know how that works yet. But my publisher <laughs> has that as part of my pa my package, so I'm supposed to do that. Okay. And um, and that's about all I've got right now. Uh, maybe I'll. Uh, get some help and set up a website but I, i'm just not there yet you can see i'm i'm lagging behind in lots of ways <laughs> the very fact that the book itself is 50 years late but um, um technologically i'm i'm pretty bad for those that are listening to this podcast uh, we'll have a, a link in the show notes to bruce paul richard's facebook author page 
Bruce, this has been great. I'm just uh, so excited about the book and um, congratulations on, on the publication of it. And I see that as of this recording, I see that you do have author readings that are popping up as well for you to, that you're going to be doing as well, correct? Oh, yeah. Uh, thanks for mentioning that. Next Thursday in Bradford, Vermont, uh, at the, the Space on Main, which is a wonderful place set up by Monique Priestley, who's a representative. She's also a former student of mine. She's a state representative and a dynamo. She just does everything. It's incredible. Uh, and she's having me do a, a reading at 6 o'clock at the Space on Main next Thursday. So that's... Uh, going to be fun although I, i'll be nervous for a while i hope somebody goes to it but uh then um and then um i mentioned you know that that class of 78 so uh, so i'm going to be at the bar bombay the biggest bar on the jersey shore which is owned by another former student of mine um tommy jenneron by name and and i'm going to do a reading and book signing there on um, Thursday, August 31st. So those are two, the two events that I have. And uh, yeah, I'm gonna see all those old students and uh, even some old teachers. And uh, I, I hope we're not all too shocked about what we look like now. <laughs> Tempest Fugit. Yeah. All right. It's really right. nice well, thank you so to, much, to have me on. I appreciate the thoughtful questions and uh, yeah, thanks a million. Yeah, right. You're welcome. And come back on when you get your next book coming out. Oh, thank you.